0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 211, opening to all that life brings or skillfully closing yourself. If you tend to close yourself when the world feels overwhelming, to repress your feelings when they take a little too much space, or to distract yourself with screens when what you really need is a break, today's episode is for you. And if you're highly sensitive, there's going to be some extra, extra gold nuggets for you in this already amazing episode. For today's episode, I sat down with Nate Clamp. Nate is a Ph.D., writer, philosopher, and entrepreneur. He is the author of a new book called Open, Living with an Expensive Mind in a Distracted World. The book is coming out mid-February, everywhere you buy your books. Nate is also the co-author of the New York Times editor's choice, The 80-80 Marriage, a new model for a happier, stronger marriage, and the New York Times bestseller for Start Here, Master the Lifelong Habit of Well-Being. Nate also co-founded the mindfulness training company called Life Cross Training and holds a BA and an MA in philosophy from Stanford University and a PhD from Princeton University. Together we talked about opening our mind to create expansion, more possibilities, and to be able to shift our focus so we can experience challenging thoughts, emotions, and sensations in a new amazing way. And since both believe that it's not because you can open to everything that you should. We also talked about intentionally and skillfully closing. If this episode inspires you in any way, I mean we were totally vibing, share it and help someone else on their journey to live life to the fullest. I always love to read your takeaways on the episode, so if you take a screenshot of the episode and share something you've learned on IG, make sure to tag at on and off your map podcast or erica.belanger so I can see them and I can reshare you. Before we get to today's episode, I have one more reminder regarding Recharge, Reconnect and Reset, the retreat that is coming up this April, and that's really, really soon. So if you've been thinking about going on this retreat with me, you got to make a move before it's too late. This retreat is like getting three months of coaching with me all packed in seven days. You'll learn all my favorite mind, body, spirit, nervous system and self-care practices so you can drop the hustle lifestyle, melt your stress and anxiety away and transform your life from the inside out. If you're ready to feel unstoppable, like you can deal with everything life throws at you and like you know how to get yourself rejuvenated and equipped to make it last, this is going to be life-changing for you. You can go to ericabelangea.com slash retreat for all the juicy details you need. You can also get on a call with me to talk about those details. Just send me a DM on Instagram with the word retreat or email me. You'll have all those links in the show notes to find me easily. All right. If you're ready to jump into today's episode with Nate, let's go. It's going to be a good one. Hi, Nate.
1: Hi. How you doing, Erica? It's good to be here.
0: I'm so well. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Yeah, it's really, really great to be on the podcast.
0: For our listeners that don't know you very well yet or don't know you at all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey? What brought you where you are today?
1: Absolutely. It's been quite a journey. I started as a philosopher. So in other words, I wanted to figure out how to live a good life, a flourishing life, ask the big questions. So I got an undergraduate degree in philosophy. Then I got a master's degree in philosophy. Then I found out if you want to be a professional philosopher, you got to get a PhD. So I did that. Went to Princeton, got a PhD, got to the end of 10 years of really intense philosophical training, and my life kind of fell apart. I had a serious bike accident, a uh, concussion, coupled with anxiety, depression. And so it was a fascinating moment in my life because I realized the tools I had been cultivating to live a happier life were pretty much useless to me in that moment. And so I had the good fortune of getting a job as a professor actually in Malibu at Pepperdine University. So all of a sudden I'm going through this kind of crisis, but here I am in LA, which has this amazing yoga scene. And so it was this incredible moment for me where I was able to discover some of these other tools like yoga and meditation and really for the last 15 years or so that's been my work is exploring these tools and then I'm a writer as well so you know writing about the science and the ancient wisdom and some of my own explorations with these tools that's really been the, the focus of my life but I did not set out to explore yoga and meditation life just kind of like brought me these tools in a very unexpected way.
0: As it does.
1: (laughs) As it does. Yeah. I feel like everybody I meet at yoga retreats, you know, meditation retreats has a similar story, but that's my version.
0: I think it's a very common one. And I love in your work that you do bring the science because I am a little nerdy myself and I bring that onto the podcast for people as well. But I love ancient wisdom and I'm very woo-woo myself. And I love when we're able to talk about both things and have them coexist. So it's really exciting the work you're putting out there. You wrote many successful books, but your latest one is called Open, Living with an Expensive Mind in a Distracted World. Would you tell us a little bit about the book and why it was important for you to write on this particular subject?
1: Absolutely. I wrote this particular book because even though I had been exploring all of these tools pretty deeply for quite a while, I reached this point where I felt like my mind was kind of subtly closing down. Mm. And part of that was just the political climate that we're living in, where a lot of people are closing to each other and view their neighbors now as enemies because they disagree with them politically. Part of that was just my own experience with my screens and my cravings for the news and social media and you know the latest scores on the ESPN app, all the things, right? And so I was just having this experience of feeling increasingly closed down to life even though paradoxically I was Doing my yoga and I was doing my meditation. So I started to think that this experience of closure, of kind of checking out to screen addiction, to political outrage, things like that. Maybe I'm not the only one experiencing this. Maybe this is more of something that's in the air, something in the zeitgeist that we're all experiencing. Mm -hmm. So I just started to think, wouldn't it be interesting? both to really go deep down the rabbit hole of what that means to close, like what is it that happens in the mind when we do that, but also more importantly, to explore what are some of the practices and tools we can use to approach all of life from a more open perspective. So not just like the blissed out final Shavasana moments, which are amazing. I don't want to like, you know, say we shouldn't have those. Those are great, but like The heartbreak, the fear, the discomfort, all the things that go along with having a human life and a body and that sort of thing. That's what led me on this journey.
0: Yeah, there's so many things in there that I can relate to. One, I went to India maybe almost a decade ago now, and I went for a teacher training And, you know, you're in an ashram and you go and meditate in caves and spend your afternoons in temples and you don't have technology and you don't have these things around you. And I was sitting at a satsang in one ashram listening and she explained how she left her life behind and she was living there now. And I was like, wait, can I do that? Can I just quit on my whole life never go back just let everything that's happening over there and just move here can I do that and it was a true like craving I had to sit with and be like does that make sense like can I do this but I think it was now that think back really this desire of closing from the world of like I'm just want to remove everything from my life and just give me that space to not have to deal with anything that life throws at me
1: that's such a beautiful story and I have to say I've had similar moments where I think to myself wouldn't it be amazing to just do this practice all the time and I think it would and I think there's value for that and for people who are able to do that that's amazing but I have a very different life where I have a soon to be teenage daughter and a wife and a whole you know community with aging parents and things like that 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 I need to deal with and be with so I think it's interesting to think about like can we have some moments like that that are reserved for really unplugging but then what do we do in the rest of life? So one of my favorite things to do actually it's a practice that I call street meditation or street opening which is basically just this idea of hey yeah the retreat time is awesome let's do that when we can but let's also turn our entire world into a retreat center. So like I have a friend of mine here in town And we'll meet once a month at Costco or at the food court in our local mall. And we'll just walk around and just kind of meditate and, you know, aimlessly wander. And it's such a cool practice because every time Mm -hmm. we do it, the same thing happens. We leave that space. And all of a sudden, like the food court of the local mall feels like an ashram. You know, it's just it gets transformed and it's kind of a fun little practice that I like to do.
0: Yeah, when I was reading through the book, this was one of the things that really popped up for me for highly sensitive people, as naturally they are so overwhelmed by the stimuli they receive from their senses. Learning to do those things and living into the contrast of it might be chaos outside, but I don't have to let that seep in and be chaos inside as well is very interesting. So can you tell us just a little bit more about this practice if someone wants to try When they go to somewhere that's intense energetically. And then what do they do more than just like come into a meditative state? What are the steps?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I would consider myself a highly sensitive person. And particularly after I got a concussion, I think I was before.
0: Makes total sense.
1: After that, I would go into like a grocery store and just be totally overwhelmed by the lights and the sounds and stuff like that. That's, abated a bit, but I still have this very heightened sensitivity, particularly to sound. So I think this can be a really interesting practice for people who are highly sensitive. And the reason is that there's something kind of interesting about Exploring the oscillation between being really relaxed and being in environments that help our nervous system really unwind and relax, Mm -hmm. and being in environments that are incredibly intense that amp up the nervous system, and kind of like experiencing the contrast and building what I think of as nervous system flexibility. So you know, a lot of people, I know for me, there's a trap of just being like, oh, I just want to feel relaxed all the time. And I want to breathe such that I'm relaxed and do yoga so I'm relaxed. And that's great, but it can be a trap because sometimes life throws curveballs our way and they're really high intensity spaces. So we want to learn to navigate those too. So I think these places are really powerful places of practice. You know, airplanes, I think, are really amazing for this. Airports, Shopping malls, right? The ER waiting room at your local hospital. Yes. There's some really intense places. So, what I like to think of is, you know, often you don't even need to set aside time because you're in those places.
0: Yeah. You're like living a moment. (laughs) Yeah.
1: You go to the doctor's office, right? So, sometimes you can set aside time or sometimes you just find yourself there. And what I like to do is a form of meditation that's a more open awareness based practice. So, eyes are open. And the whole idea is just to kind of relax into things as they are and allow everything to be exactly as it is. So all those crazy sounds, all the things that are in the visual field. And as you're doing that, the one cue I like is to just subtly expand the edges of awareness. So for me, that means like imagining that I'm seeing this whole scene in kind of like panoramic awareness that I'm hearing the full orchestra of sound that's happening. Mm -hmm. So I love that. And then I also think, you know, particularly if you're in a space like that for a while, walking meditation practice can be really cool. There's a Buddhist practice called aimless wandering that I love to do where the idea is you have no goal. You just kind of like let your intuition guide you. And we're used to doing this in like the mountains or on the beach, but it's really crazy to do this in the aisles of Walmart. (laughs) Yeah,
0: or like downtown
1: Again, with the idea being like, hey, let's break down this dualism between the sacred and the profane, you know, the retreat and the street and see that it's all the same thing.
0: I love that. And I think a key point in this is your focus, you know, yeah. because you're doing the same thing physically, but mentally you're making a different choice instead of noticing how everything is aggressive or how everything is disturbing or how everything is creating an effect on your body, you're choosing a different focus. You're choosing to soften into it. So you're changing your relationship to it. And I think that alone is a practice that can ripple in a lot of parts in our life, just focus and what it means in the moment for ourselves and our experience.
1: Yeah. And there's all this really cool research now on mindset And just the way in which what you're talking about, that shift in mindset can actually change our physiological response. Mm -hmm. So, like, Aliyah Crum at Stanford did this really cool experiment where they were looking at stress mindset. And, you know, they had one group of people, they told them, like, stress is bad. You don't want to be stressed out. It's bad for your health. And then another group, they said, no, stress can be good. Like, it challenges us. It allows us to, you know, really achieve our full potential. And not surprisingly, the people in the stress is good group physiologically responded better to stress, like lower mm-hmm. cortisol levels. So it wasn't just a mindset thing. I mean, it was that, but it translated into a physiological shift.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, so I think that's kind of what's happening here where, you know, you can turn this really chaotic, crazy environment into this cool opportunity to practice. And that in turn changes the way in which your body reacts to it.
0: Yeah. I love that. And then you can use it in every moment. Like we were talking about, you don't have to wait to be in the yoga studio. You don't have to wait to sit on your cushion. You can cultivate this like bite size through your day and just keep your baseline at a different level. Instead of kind of going in and out, up and down more, you can kind of lower your baseline to a more relaxed state over time. And you were talking before about like expanding your capacity you know, widening your tolerance for all of these things, instead of trying to control the outer world, because obviously we know we can't do that. We've tried, but we fail usually. If we work on widening our tolerance or capacity for that input, then we stay in this area of One of my teacher calls it dignity, like in a window of dignity, where we stay comfortable, we stay calm, even if everything is happening, we're not losing ourselves in it. And I think that is very powerful for everyday life.
1: Yeah, I love that. And the one thing I would add there, which I know you talk about a lot in your work as well, is also remembering the self-compassion piece. Pema Chodron calls it unconditional friendliness, That. Like, it's a good thing and powerful to challenge our nervous system in this way, but also to have that in the back of our minds. Like, we don't want to push too far. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get to spaces where we're beyond our comfort zone and actually creating more anxiety and more trauma in the body. So, there's like a delicate dance here. You know, and I learned that the hard way. One of the things I talk about in the book is I ended up meditating through a three-hour dental procedure that they almost always use sedation for. (laughs) And that was such a teacher for me because I went into it with this kind of hardcore mindset of, yeah, I'm going to just like open to pain and discomfort and not take the sedation. And I left that realizing there's self-compassion. That's really important. And sometimes it's okay to not push that far Or, you know, we all have our own boundaries, but it's sometimes it's okay to not push.
0: Yeah. You talk about this, I think you call it skillful closing. So like you make a choice to close in that moment. And I think that brings that piece of compassion of like, can I be intentional of when do I decide to open and when do I decide to close. And I know that I'm making a choice. And I think that's what matters the most is that it's not an automatic pattern where you're like, you naturally go into close mode and you like disconnect and you become like in this functional free state, but you make a choice of like, right this moment, I'm going to choose this because this is what's the most loving choice or the most loving act for myself. And then I'll come back to reopen when something changes.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that is a powerful practice. The other thing I think for highly sensitive people like myself, I think you you would identify in that camp as well, (laughs) is to really watch the quality of activation in your nervous system. For me, sometimes I can just feel my system is so amped and so dysregulated that it's not a good time to push it to intensity.
0: Open further
1: yeah to open further and one of the prerequisites for opening into discomfort or into you know some of these difficult emotions that we have sometimes is to really do something that relaxes the nervous system such that opening is more available as a move and that's why i think yoga like there's no better technology on earth than things like yoga yoga nidra breathing You know, as we all know, these are Mm -hmm. really profound ways of laying the groundwork such that that move is available to us.
0: For people that are listening to this conversation, and in a way, they know what we're talking about, but also they're like, although I know what the words mean, like we know what it means to be open, quote unquote. Can you tell us, and this might be silly, but what does it mean or feel like to be open versus to be closed? Like, how can people know where they are if they're a little unsure of, like, Where do I actually stand in this moment?
1: Yeah, that was one of the things I really wanted to do because these are words that are thrown around all the time. They're part of the way we talk about the mind. And you know when we talk about things like yoga, they come up a lot. So I wanted to get really specific about how I'm using these terms. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's useful. I can just give you a moment in my life. The other day, I finished the day and... I didn't get anything done that I was supposed to do, but I ended up, I was working really hard and I was reading the news and it was really disturbing to me what was happening in the world. And so my mind was just whirling. And in that moment, I felt this very strong urge to close, which I did by watching Monday Night Football, which is one of my closing strategies. Yeah. So what was happening there? Well, one thing is there's a state of mind that goes along with closure, which I would call unconscious mind wandering. So the mind is swirling. I'm traveling through the past and the future, but there's not a whole lot of awareness of what's mm-hmm. happening in the present moment or in the mind itself. Two, there's a tendency to withdraw from discomfort or withdraw from the present moment or life rather than approach or move toward either the moment or maybe even it's another person. There's a tendency to withdraw from you know, the people we disagree with versus approaching. And then finally, there's something interesting for me about the size of the mind itself, that when we are closed, the mind kind of shrinks down and has this very claustrophobic feel to it. And it's not that the brain gets smaller, right? But, but we all know that feeling of the mind kind of like tunneling in on whatever the problem is. The
0: image I got when you were saying is like that tunnel or like when the walls are like, you know, the room is feeling small, like this, like stuck energy of like, I can't breathe, even though physically you can, but there's this pressure almost.
1: Yes. Whereas when we open, we're reversing all three of those pieces. So instead of unconscious mind wandering, there's more of an awareness of the present moment, more of an awareness of awareness itself, even. Mm -hmm. Instead of withdrawing, there's a move toward approaching things that might be uncomfortable or approaching our present moment. And then finally, instead of the mind feeling really small, there's a little bit more space. And I think to me, that's the key. And you think about yoga. Yoga is about opening the body so there's more space. But when we open the body so there's more space, there's more space in the mind. And we've all had that experience lying in Shavasana of like, wow, my mind really feels bigger. This
0: moment of nothing.
1: That's the essence of opening, but it can happen in more subtle ways throughout the day. It doesn't have to be that big, profound thing.
0: I mean, even if it's just a second or two, it can feel quite profound, I feel. And I think oftentimes- that's the experience of a silent meditation, right? It's like you're going through the thoughts so you can get a moment of that feeling of expensiveness of the size or the width, the space yeah. that is in your mind beneath all the chaos.
1: <laughs> yeah, my favorite analogy, Brahm Das, who I just love, he has this cool idea of you know the closed mind. It's like a picture that's cropped in so tight. All you see is this one little tiny cloud and that cloud could be your anxiety or your stress or whatever. And when the mind opens, it's like you zoom out and you see just like the miles of wide open blue sky surrounding that cloud. And what I love about that analogy is like the cloud might still be there, like the anxiety might still be there, or the thoughts might still be there, but it fundamentally changes the experience of those things when there's more space.
0: It just gives you a bigger picture. So the small aspect that might've been anxiety-based, chaos-based now is like part of this bigger frame and it doesn't carry as much weight potentially in that moment because there's other things balancing it out.
1: Yeah. And some people are like, oh, that's all you get, a little more space. But I think that's the whole game. What (laughs) can happen in that space? Well, there's more possibility. There's less identification with your mind, with your thoughts, with your emotions, There's less hostility toward other people. There's more time to respond instead of react. So like that space is a big deal, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. There's something quite (laughs) magical in there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But you know, to some people it's like, why would I spend a lot of time cultivating space in my head? That's weird, but I I think it's pretty deep.
0: It's okay, go on and be weird. (laughs) Exactly. For highly sensitive people, closing off is a super common strategy because of we're feeling overwhelmed. So we think that avoidance is kind of a way to deal with that. And because of the amount of stimuli, we've already talked about this idea of opening your awareness, like in the street opening or in that open meditation, in the moment where we have to make the choice, right, where we're like leaning into that unconscious mind, How can we decide not to close or like just catch and be like, oh, this is what is happening right now? How do we interrupt that? Or how do we move into opening at that moment? If we're feeling safe enough in our nervous system that it's appropriate, let's say.
1: Yeah, I think the key is that moment of awareness. So the ability to just see what's happening such that we notice there's some form of closure going on. Because without that awareness, it's all just habits and it's all this automatic process that we're going through. So that I think is really key. And one thing that can be helpful there is to take a step back and just almost take like a closing inventory of your life. Like, what are the things I do that take me away from the direct Mm -hmm. experience of my life? And everybody has their own list. Mm -hmm. That's what's so interesting, right? Everybody has their own little... Unique, idiosyncratic list. So for me, it's stuff like- Football. Football, yeah. Reading my Broncos blog. But it's also the news, it's email, it's text messages. It's just picking up my phone when there's no reason to do it. Mm -hmm. Watching stuff on Netflix. And I don't want to say that's bad. Like, you know, we should do that sometimes. But when it becomes compulsive, it's worth interrupting it. So I would say getting clear on what are my unique- Forms of closure. And then sometimes I like to think that there's a distinction between healthy closure and problematic forms of closure. So if I can feel myself wanting to retreat, one way for me to do that is to binge watch a sitcom on Netflix. Another way for me to do that is to like really allow myself to relax, to listen to some music, maybe lie down on the ground, do some yoga nidra. And that to me is a much more healthy way of retreating from the world. Like I'm really nourishing my nervous system. I'm actually relaxing versus the pretend Netflix kind. So I don't know. Those are a few thoughts that come up for me.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I talk about this a lot with my students because... If you need to answer the need, you need to give your body what it's asking. It's just on getting clear into what actually gives you that result. Because you might think that binging three hours at Netflix or being an hour on TikTok is a moment of relaxation, or going for a third snack is a moment of relaxation. But in fact, you're not feeling more at ease after. You're feeling the same or you're feeling worse. If you're feeling really honest, after half an hour on TikTok, your eyes are cross-eyed and you're like, you're not feeling relaxed at all. But if that was your goal, then to choose something that actually serves that goal, then is a lot more... Loving for yourself, you're actually moving in that right direction. And sometimes we do need that close off energy. We do need to decompress. We do need to cut the sensory overload that we receive. And it might be a very positive thing if we are intentional. I think it all comes back to that awareness and the intention that we have.
1: I love what you're saying there about sometimes you do this thing that feels like the right strategy. You know, you watch the Netflix or whatever, the TikTok, but you feel worse afterwards. And I actually think we can make that a more systematic practice in the following way. One of the things that I'll do sometimes when I have this decision, like, do I want to close, do I want to open, is I'll be like, okay, I'm going to just let myself close down here. And I'm going to open up all my news sites, and I'm going to just gorge on a buffet of digital distraction. But there's a way of doing that consciously, where you really like take a moment, check in with the mind and body, then consciously make that choice. Then when you're done, check in again with the mind and the body and actually noticing in your system the way in which there's now more anxiety or there's more fear or there's more like whatever stress in your system, that's a kind of cool experiment to run, to just mm-hmm. consciously close down and almost become like an investigator of what's happening in your mind and body because there's still a lot of awareness there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do think... In the way that I teach anyway, I don't force students to go straight into something relaxing and calming if they're feeling really agitated, right? And I think you talk about this as a way to use this strategy in your book, where sometimes you need to meet that energy first, right? If you're feeling very agitated, very anxious, very overwhelmed by everything around you, and you do this practice intentionally of gorging or binging on what actually matches this energy in your tendency to avoid it might help it dissipate. So then you can go into something more relaxing, more calming, more restful, but you're not fighting it because there was nowhere for that energy to be channeled out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's a Buddhist tantric practice of just saying like, okay, I have this very deep desire and craving. And one thing I can do is resist it and abstain from it. And that's a great strategy. But sometimes we all know that that breaks down So the other strategy that you're talking about there is allowing yourself to indulge, but to do it consciously and sometimes even overindulging. So, you know, in the book, I talk about spending three days all day, every day binging on my screen. It was kind of cool because what I learned through that is that there really is a way in which overindulgence can sometimes burn out the root of that desire. You know, like the day after I did that, I had no desire to look at my phone. I didn't want to have anything to do with my phone because all the novelty that it used to hold behind the lock screen had just like completely been destroyed by overindulgence. So that's just another kind of counterintuitive way of practicing.
0: Yeah. That's why I wanted to mention it because it is counterintuitive, but it's also very powerful if you do it intentionally and you show up like that. So I think that's good for people to hear. Yeah. You mentioned emotions a bit earlier in our conversation. And I know that in the book, you also have tools for emotions and for highly sensitive people, emotions are also overwhelming and there's a depth of processing, there's a depth of feeling and all of that can be very challenging. And we might want to close off to our own emotions as well and to the emotions of other people. So do you have any tips or trick or practice that you like to do to be better able to sit with the discomfort of emotions? Because I feel that's different than sensory input, right? And become a bit more open to that.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the coolest moments I had in the process of this whole exploration was I interviewed a number of different mindfulness masters, Chen masters from the Tibetan tradition. So one of them was Mingyur Rinpoche. And I actually asked him this question because this is a question I've thought a lot about and I've tried to integrate into my own practice. And what I loved about his answer is it was all about locating the experience of whatever emotion you happen to be feeling in the body. So, you know, you're feeling anxiety or fear. Our tendency is to move to the mind Mm -hmm. and the stories that the mind is generating. It's almost like, you know, I think of like the emotion in the body is like a wave. And then, you know, there are all these stories just like flying out of this wave. Crashing. Yeah. And there are, you know, stories about how my life's going to be over and I'm going to end up homeless or whatever it is, right? All this stuff. I'm going to go crazy. And so the idea is to locate the experience in the body, bring our attention to the experience of the emotion in the body, because usually there's some sort of sensation. So we're just kind Mm -hmm. of scanning the body. What's the prevailing predominant sensation? Maybe it's in the chest. Maybe it's in the belly. Maybe it's in the head or the neck, wherever it is, to bring your attention there and then to just see what happens when you allow that experience to be and shift the mindset from one of avoidance to one of more like investigation. You know, like, isn't this interesting? There's this kind of flickery, like pulsing thing that's happening near my heart And so I think the key there is the the shift toward the body, the allowing, and then also the willingness to sort of let go of trying to control it, Mm -hmm. you know, which I think is the hardest part for me, the letting go piece. I say all that as if like, oh, that's so simple. As we all know, that's so hard to do. But I think those are steps that can be really powerful in terms of just changing our experience of emotions from this frenetic mind state to more of a body experience.
0: I think when we go into the mind, we are losing that connection with what it actually feels in our body. And we're making up all those stories about it that end up feeling worse than what it actually physically feels in the physical sensations. And I do a lot of exactly that with my students where It's just about, can you tell me where it is in the body? How does it feel? Is there a texture? Is there a color? Is there an image that describes it? Like, is it like a brick wall? If you didn't have words to explain it, like to an adult that understands emotions, like what if you want to explain what you feel in your belly to a three-year-old? Like, how can you describe that to them? So like getting out of the mental activity of it and really into the feeling of it. And then we do something energetically for that part of the body. And usually it changes in some way. The color changes, the texture changes, the intensity changes, or it kind of moves to a different part of the body. So we kind of follow what's happening. And I think that allows people to not get lost in the intensity of it, because we're focused on just the physical sensation. There's no stories around oh, I feel like a spider web in my chest. Like, I don't care what that means. Like, we don't need to know what it means. But if you focus just on that, it's like you're narrowing that window of things you need to pay attention to and then it's easier to deal with.
1: I love that. Well, and I wonder if you've had this experience. For me, I know this at an intellectual level, but it can be so hard to remember, especially when really big emotions are rising. And so that's part of why I think the work you're doing like with your podcast is so powerful because i find that i need to surround myself by constant reminders of this you know through listening to podcasts like yours or reading books every day i need to be reminded even though i know i wonder do you have that same experience where it's like it's a knowing that can easily slip away
0: easily i feel the most desregulated i am the easiest it slips away and the more i forget So, like, the more you're in crisis, the harder it is to access your, like, intelligence around it.
1: Isn't that ironic?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's normal, though. So, like, I want to give people that reminder that, like, you know, the more your nervous system is in a freeze state, the less you have access to your cognition. So, the less you're going to be able to come up with solutions, the less you're going to be able to be creative in your thinking, and you just get tunnel vision into the problem and That's why it's harder to get out of it. So like your nervous system is perfect and it's doing its job. You're not doing anything wrong. It's just the way it is.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's very well said.
0: I feel like we can talk about all this for so much longer. So I wanna ask you one, maybe two more questions before we wrap it up. From all the tools in the book, Is there something that is your personal go-to that you use more than anything else? You talked about the street opening before, but I wonder if maybe there's something else. Because at the end of the book, you make people make a list of like the tools they want to bring home and what's their favorite. So I want to know what are you using the most regularly for yourself?
1: Well, it changes for me. But right now, I would say it's this hybrid yoga nidra meditation practice that I do, which is very simple. I mean, I'm sure most people listening know yoga nidra is kind of like a extended chavasana practice, mm-hmm. but I will just lie on the ground and often I'll just put on music. So it's not traditional yoga nidra where you have the guided track, but I'll just put on my eye mask, maybe my headphones, maybe I just put on the stereo or whatever. And there's something about just allowing my body to relax into the earth. And there's also not a whole lot of effort in the mind when I do a practice like that. Like I love meditation, but meditation is a very active practice. There's a lot of intention and effort that goes into following the sensations of breath or even expanding into open awareness. Sitting also requires a decent amount of effort to sit with a straight spine. So, I just love that as a practice because my days are full of sitting at my desk and, you know, doing really fun things, but things that are very high intensity. That's my favorite, is just allowing everything to just drop, like just I go to it. zero. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. We had Judith Henson Lasseter come on the podcast a long time ago. I think it was episode 58, if you guys want to go back to that. And she tells this awesome story about her young kid. Telling her that she needs to go shavas herself, <laughs> uh-huh. like they made it yes. a verb and an action in their house. Of like when they need a moment, they're like, "Mom, I think you need to go shavas yourself."
1: That's what I'm talking and that about.
0: Stuck with me, and I use it as a kind of a running gag in my own home with myself. Like, okay, I think I need to go shavas myself now.
1: Erica, what's your favorite practice in those moments you need a reset? What, what's your go-to?
0: So my tendency on closing off is so strong, like that was my go-to mechanism for so many years that it's just the simple opposite of like stopping, pausing, and then just being for a second before doing anything else. And that might seem like it's not a practice really on its own, but to get out of the automation of all the patterns of getting out of this comfort and avoiding everything that is going on to just take one breath of like, what is it I'm actually annoyed with right now? Like, what is it? Am I actually angry about? Like, wait, 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 what? Like just taking a moment to like, step back, like take a step back and look at the fuller picture. And that is something I do multiple times a day, multiple times a day. Like I feel a little something and I'm like, Oh, why am I feeling that? Like a simple example, before the podcast episode today, like two minutes before we went on, I needed to go use the bathroom, but I had used it like six minutes before. So I know I didn't really need it to pee, you know? So I was like, I need to pee. And I was like, why do I need to pee right now? I literally just went. Then I was like, oh, I'm a little like excited and nervous about this conversation. Okay. And then I went to use the bathroom anyway. And then I came back and then I was like, okay, like now I know I'm going with that energy. I love that. So for me just to be like, what's happening? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And just doing that through the whole day as a practice.
1: It's funny, you said at some point, it's not a big deal. Maybe it's not even a practice. I feel like that is the practice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would want to push against that to say like, that is such a deep, amazing practice. We could all do that a little more each day. Yeah. The difference that would make.
0: Yeah. I think it's easier to start on the actions that you take every day because I've been aiming, like one of my teacher gave me this challenge of like, know why I say all the things I say in a day. Wow. (laughs) Being like, I'm about to say this. Why am I about to say this? What am I trying to show to prove? What's my goal? Like to have this whole conversation with everything I say in a day. And this is really difficult. So to start with like the action and the choices you make, it's a lot easier. And then over time. In the middle of the conversation, sometimes I'm like, oh, interesting. I'm trying to, you know, make them think this about me or I'm trying to show that I identify in this way. Like, I'm in the middle of it, right? So I'm not fast enough yet to be like, this is what is about to happen, but there's still this conversation happening. And I think that's interesting and a goal of mine. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. All right. There's so many things more I wanted to talk about. So I will just tell people to go get the book, read the book. If you're highly sensitive, although this is not a book that's framed for highly sensitive people, it is for you. So go and read it. It's an easy, quick read. It's full of tools that are super helpful. It's full of fun, interesting stories as well. So do that. Now, Nate, for people that want to get to know you more, work with you in some way or learn more from you, where do they go? What can they do?
1: Yeah, the best place to go is probably my website, nateklemp.com. Klemp is K-L-E-M-P. And I'm also on Instagram, nate underscore klemp, And those are the two main places where I hang out. So I have a Perfect. newsletter that comes out every couple of weeks that I write with my wife. We actually... Also co author together. So that's Mm -hmm. an
0: 8080. That's
1: kind of a fun thing. Yeah, we wrote a book called The 8080 Marriage. We send out tools and tips for relationships and living more mindfully, et cetera.
0: Love it. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? If there's like one takeaway you'd like people to leave with this episode, what would that be?
1: I think the takeaway would just be to take a closer look. Where are you closing in your life? and where are there opportunities to open up a little bit more, whatever that means to you. Maybe it's opening to the present moment. Maybe it's being a little bit more open with your kids and your partner. Maybe it's being more open to people in your extended family, friends, community members, but just start to see some of those opportunities and have the internal reflection around how to do it a little bit more.
0: Love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Nate.
1: Thank you, Erica. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Such a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, leave a review for this podcast anywhere you listen. It really, truly helps people find this podcast and it helps them on their own path. Last call for Recharge, Reconnect, and Reset, the retreat coming up this April. Check ericabelanja.com slash retreat or DM or email me for more details. You'll find all the show notes for this episode at ericabelanger.com slash 211. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. And this includes all you podcast premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. I'll see you next Monday.